0: Hey New Song family, Tiffany brought an impromptu word yesterday on what is actually part two of the message she brought last Sunday on generational momentum. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to use this in our midst to transform our thinking and our lives in many, many ways. I hope you're inspired as you listen to it. Last week we talked a lot about Stepping into the favor and acceleration of God by partnering with generational inheritance. Let me say that one more time. Yes. It's kind of a heady thing. Stepping into the favor and acceleration of God in our own lives by partnering with generational inheritance. And like Veronica said, we can partner with our biological generational inheritance, the things that God originally designed our parents, our grandparents, our great grandparents to carry, or we can partner with our spiritual generational inheritance of our spiritual mothers and fathers and the things that they carry. And so what we talked about last week was that saying that so many of us here in the church, our ceiling is supposed to be the next generation's floor We talked about what that actually looks like. The fact that the generation that is before us, the battles that they have fought and won are supposed to be the places where we build. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time because this is really important. This is the key to everything we're going to talk about today. The generation before us, whether it's spiritual or biological, the battles that they have fought and the victories that they have won, those should be the places where we then build. God did not design the family of God or biological families to have to fight the same battles generation after yeah. generation. He designed us to work in family, spiritually and biologically, so that we build one generation to the next. Why? Why did he design us that way? We talked about this last week. Because of the dominion mandate that he gave Adam and Eve. That he redeemed in Christ Jesus. So that dominion mandate that he gave. Go, fill the earth. Subdue it, rule over it. That was stolen from us, right, when sin entered into the garden. And Jesus Christ redeemed that dominion mandate. Now we walk in that dominion mandate. Go, fill the earth, subdue it for the sake of the kingdom of God. So, why does the Lord want us to move in favor and acceleration from generation to generation? So that we can fulfill the dominion mandate that He's given. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the basics of what we talked about last week. And we talked about the fact that David and Solomon are the perfect example of this because David was a warrior. David was out on the battlefield winning battles for the sake of the kingdom of Israel because Saul, and this is a whole other story that we won't go into, Saul dropped the baton, basically. He should have been the one to establish the kingdom of Israel, but he didn't do it because of sin. And so God brought David in fresh. He wiped the slate clean. He brought David in fresh. And so David had to fight the battles to establish the kingdom of God, both in the natural and in the spiritual in his generation. What happened then was that Solomon, his son, and we looked at a lot of scripture last week, was able to build in rest on what David fought to win in battle. Okay. really, really important. So this week we're going to talk about what does it look like to build in rest? I think all of us understand what it looks like to fight battles, right? That's not a foreign concept to us, to fight battles in the spirit, to fight battles in the natural. We all get that. We can talk about the armor of God. We can talk about David and Goliath and how he fought that battle by faith, but we're not going to focus on that because I think there's enough talked about that in Christendom. We're going to talk about what it means to build in rest today. And honestly, just like I said last week, I'm still processing this revelation. So it's probably not going to be the smoothest delivery because a lot of this, I'm just still chewing on as the Lord is revealing it to me. So you guys can be patient with me, take it home, chew on it for yourself, but What are the characteristics of building from rest? Let's go back to Solomon. And as we discussed last week, the Lord gave Solomon rest. It says that in the word from his enemies all around so that. He was able to write poetry, write proverbs. He was able to share his wisdom with the world. And all these things came out of his kingdom because he was able to build and rest. In other words, creativity, wisdom, uh, astounding beauty that he created in his kingdom because he didn't have to go out and fight the battles that his father fought, right? In fact, Solomon himself was the one who was able to build the temple that David had in his heart to build. Solomon got to be the one who built it because he was not a man of war. He was a man of rest because of the investment that his father had made. So what does it look like to build from rest? Well, one of the first characteristics of that is a heart and a posture of faith and belief. And the scripture I want us to look at that's connected to that is Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. Can somebody open that up and read that for me? So then, there remains the Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Okay, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, and if we back up in the chapter, we can see he's talking about Joshua and how Joshua was was commissioned by the Lord to bring the people of Israel into the promised land. That was their place of building. That was going to be their place of rest. But we see in chapter three, the writer of Hebrews telling us and explaining to us the reason they weren't able to do that. It was because of unbelief. It was because of unbelief. So in the verses that Alyssa just read, he's exhorting the people of God now in a new covenant sense, not in an old covenant sense, because the people of Israel, Joshua, the promised land, all of that was walked out as an example for us in the new covenant, right? So we can learn from what they actually experienced. So in this new covenant sense of rest, he's saying, let's not fail to enter the rest of God. In other words, let's not fail to let go of our own striving, our own works, what we think we need to accomplish, what we think we need to do and how we need to do it, but through belief and through faith, let us enter into the rest of God. Amen. Okay. How does that correlate with this generational inheritance idea? Building from rest. One of the key components of building from rest is a knowing of where God is calling us generationally, what position we have in the generation, so to speak, and then believing him by faith for the promises that have been spoken. Just like the Israelites were to believe God that he was going to take them into the promised land and give them rest. They didn't believe, so they missed out, right? Right. So our job then in the new covenant sense is to believe God for the promises he's spoken over us generationally and enter into the rest of faith. Graham Cook loves to say rest is warfare. Rest is warfare. So when we enter into rest, knowing believing in what God has spoken, building on the victories that the previous generations have won, we are actually allowing God to fight our battles for us in the heavenlies so that everything that is ours can be fully established. Everybody get that? This is kind of a deep concept, okay? But the writer of Hebrews is telling us we have to partner with a spirit of faith and belief in order to enter into the rest of God, in order to build on what God has called us to build on. So that's key number one. All right, key number two. This is a big one. We have to carry a heart of humility to link to the previous generations. Mm -hmm. Now... We touched last week on the fact that we as Americans have very much of a rugged independence that we carry. We carry this rugged independence of, I just need to do it on my own. I just need to carve my own path. I just need to make and forge my own trail. And especially when the generations biologically have really screwed it up for us, oftentimes we get this mentality of, well, I just gotta go it alone. I'm gonna create a whole new path, a whole new way of doing things. And what that often creates is this hard heart of independence. And the Lord actually designed us to live in the opposite spirit. What the Lord designed us to do is to look to the generations past us, spiritually and biologically, and say in humility, I will link myself intentionally to the victories that you won, I will build upon the victories that you won so that the purposes of God can be accelerated on the earth. Now, why does that take humility? because the spirit of pride wants to rise up in us as men and women. That's just how we're wired because of sin. And we want to say, hey, I made my own mark. Hey, I did my own thing. Hey, look at this thing that I created, that I did, the battles I fought and won, right? That's the opposite of the way the Lord's created us to be. Because he says to us as his kids, if you will in humility link yourself to the generation before and their victories, I will accelerate what you can do and last week i brought up the example of bethel church okay this is a powerful example i fully believe that what bill johnson is walking in is a result of his humility to link himself to the victories of previous generations his dad who started bethel church His grandfather, his great-grandfather, who were all pastors, what he did is he stepped into the river of the favor and blessing of God, and he said, I'm going to link myself with their victories. I'm going to build on what they have accomplished. And he stepped into this stream. I believe that what we see in his generations, Brian and Jen, Eric Johnson, those men and women are experiencing accelerated favor power anointing, not because they're some special, amazing person, not because Brian and Jen have these incredible voices. They're incredible songwriters. I believe that what they did is they stepped into the favor of God when they said, I will link and build on what God is doing here. Okay. That's an example in the natural that we can see very powerfully. Now they could have said, I'm going to carve my own path. I'm going to do my own thing. But instead of doing that, they said, no, I see God's favor on your life. I see what he's done. I see the victories that have been won. I'm going to, in humility, build on those places. And God has blessed that exponentially. So building requires humility. It requires humility. I want us to look at an example of this. Solomon's son Rehoboam decided to do things his own way. And we're going to talk in a minute about why that is. But when we're talking about humility to link to the generations and the victories that have been won before us, I want to just read, this is what Rehoboam's counselors said to him when he came to the throne. And it was the council that he decided to run with. They said to him, starting in verse 10 of 1 Kings 12, it says, And the young men who had grown up with him and who he had asked for counsel said to him, Thus you shall speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thigh. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Basically, what is that? What, what kind of Pride. attitude is that? Cry. You thought my dad had it going on over here and you weren't too happy with that. Well, you just wait and see what I'm going to do. Okay? And that was another huge stumbling block in the kingdom that caused things to start to fall apart was when Rehoboam decided, no I'm not going to build on the good, the blessing, the favor that my father walked in. I'm going to do it my way. That's when the kingdom split. Yeah, it's exactly when the kingdom split. Israel and Judah. Just a a powerful example of what it looks like when we don't walk in humility to link to the generations. Alright, next thing I want to talk about, and this is a really powerful one as well, a prerequisite for building in rest is carrying and being the beneficiary of a father's and mother's heart. Okay, so for those of us who want to build in rest, we have to do so from a perspective of having a father's or a mother's heart. Now, I want us to read a couple of scriptures before I open this up a little bit. Can somebody turn to Isaiah 39 and read verses 5 through 8? Actually, let's read 1 Kings first. 1 Kings 11, verse 12. Somebody read that for me, and then we'll read the Isaiah passage. For the sake of your father, David, I will not do this while you are still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son. Okay, that's right. This is God speaking to Solomon. So we see at this point in Solomon's life that he has turned his heart from serving the Lord wholeheartedly. And God shows up and He says to him, Solomon, there's this stuff in your life, and we'll talk about that in a minute. There's this stuff in your life, and because of this, because you're not following Me wholeheartedly, I'm going to take the kingdom away. But I'm not going to do it in your day. I'm going to do it in the days of your son. Wow, powerful. Okay, now let's read the next passage in Isaiah. Who has that one? In Isaiah to Ezekiah. Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming, and all that is in your house, and what your fathers have accumulated until this day, shall be carried by Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons, who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be in the palace of the king of Babylon, and Hesych. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, "Uh, the word of the Lord which you have spoken in is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. Okay. So Hezekiah and Solomon, something very similar happening in their hearts. Hezekiah, we see if we back up in that passage, you can read it this week. He walked in pride. I won't go into the whole story. You can read it. It's incredibly fascinating. God, Hezekiah gets sick. God heals him and extends his life. And in that life extension, Hezekiah chooses to walk in pride. Because of his pride, God shows up and says to him, guess what, Hezekiah? I'm going to take the kingdom away from your family line. But it's not going to happen in your day. It's going to happen in the days of your son. And what's Hezekiah's response? At least it's not going to happen to me. Okay, so we see with Solomon and Hezekiah both, neither one of them understood the importance of generational inheritance. Neither one of them understood the importance of what I pass to my son is actually going to define the kingdom. It's going to define what happens in the next generation. The choices I make now will define what takes place in the generation following me. All they cared about was, at least it's not happening in my day very stark contrast to David, we talked about this last week, that David actually stored up all the supplies for his son Solomon to build the temple. He had the opposite mentality. He knew and understood the victories that I have won that have created rest for Israel are going to allow my son to build something that the world has never seen. And so I'm going to lay up the supplies and the storehouse for him. So when I go, he will be able to build Wow! so how do we build and rest? One of the ways we build in rest is an understanding of what it means to be a father and a mother. Not just biologically, what that is crucially important, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, but spiritually. Our victories in the spirit, just like we talked about with Bethel, become those things that the next generation will build on. And we cannot have a mentality, hello, what's going on in our nation? We cannot have a mentality of, well, at least it really doesn't bother me that much. At least it doesn't affect me that much. How is it going to affect the next generation? What price are they going to have to pay for the choice that we make today? We have to think generationally. Okay. so now let's talk about a couple of things that prevent us from that, prevent us from building in rest, Okay. Two things I want to highlight. We can reject what we've been given, handed as an inheritance, or we can forfeit. Okay, what does it mean to reject what we've been handed, either biologically or spiritually? Well, Rehoboam is a perfect example of this. He rejected what his father Solomon handed down to him. And the root of this rejection is rebellion or pride. Rebellion or pride. Now, I want to throw some phrases out, and I want you to think about whether you've ever thought this, heard anybody say this. I'm going to do it better than my parents. I'm going to do it different than my parents. I'm going to do it nothing like <laughs> <laughs> <to> my parents. <laughs> right? Preacher sister. <laughs> So how many times have we either thought that ourselves or heard somebody else say that? Okay. The problem with those statements as as rooted in good intentions as they may be, because maybe our parents or our grandparents or whoever it is in our previous generations blew it. Maybe they, they wreaked havoc everywhere they went. They caused destruction with every step. The problem with that is that we were designed to live generationally. That's how God designed us to be, to operate in families, in tribes. God loves tribes. He loves it. We see the whole Bible full of, the whole Old Testament is full of how God works with tribes. This is his heartbeat. He wants the generations to link. So when we make those declarations in pride, that's the root of that is pride. What we're doing is we're essentially cutting off our link to the previous generations. And as Chris said, that we talked about last week, the original design that they were created to carry. Now, this can happen in the natural or it can happen in the spiritual. I brought up the example last week of Elon Musk. What does that man carry? Brilliance, creativity, imagination, imagination, Risk. uh, risk. This man is incredible. That's how God designed him to be. Does he know Jesus? No, he does not. But he's walking in the design that God gave him, his original design in a powerful way, okay? So whether our generation previous to us or two back or three back knew the Lord, walked in redemption, walked in the fullness of their original design, it was still there. It was marked on who they were at inception and it is our job as we partner with the Lord to look back and say, Holy Spirit, will you open my eyes, give me wisdom, give me understanding? What was it that you marked our tribe with that we were called to carry that my previous generations totally dropped the baton on? How do you want to use me to redeem those things so that my kids, my grandkids will just build, 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 build and expand the kingdom of God? So we have to do some digging. And last week I talked about some spiritual mapping. Sit down with Holy Spirit. Ask Him to start mapping out your generations for you. Looking at... What it was that your grandfather carried? What were his strengths? What were his weaknesses? What were the sin issues that stumbled him? What were the things that you saw? Oh my gosh, he was amazing at this. And then begin to dig with the Lord and say, Father, is there anything of this that I am supposed to carry? Because when I step into it, I will actually step into favor and acceleration. So that's rebellion. That is... The rejection aspect of how we cannot build and rest. I reject what the Lord intended for me to partner with. Next is forfeiting. And I want to read you a couple definitions because this is really crazy. <laughs> okay, forfeit. The definition of forfeit means lost or surrendered as a penalty for neglect, lost or surrendered as a penalty for neglect. Now, let me read you the definition of neglect. To fail to care for properly. So this is not rejection. This is, I'm not taking care of it. I'm not caring properly for what has been handed down to me, the victories that have been won. Maybe I'm not thinking about them. Maybe I'm just kind of ignoring them. Maybe... Nobody's ever taught me this, and so I didn't even know that I was supposed to care for these things. That's neglect. So what I end up doing is I forfeit, I hand over, because of neglect, what should have been mine. Which means that the generations behind me have to start all over again from square one. Now, I love Proverbs 27. I'm going to read this to you guys. Proverbs 27, 23 through 24. It says, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations. Now, what in the world does that scripture have to do with what we're talking about? Stewardship. Stewardship. Uh, a Tangible way this happens in real life is that a, a generation of like children will inherit the house of their parent, and there's uh, and their parent has spent their whole life paying off that house, and then that that child is sitting in that house and fails to pay the taxes on the home and loses it. Wow, okay. it's a perfect example! Yeah, it's extreme. Well, even with um, David and Solomon, you know, David's. Up and just laying that foundation for Solomon and then just in the areas where you know, he didn't carry it on. Us. So if you don't work for it. It can happen. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to try to care for that. Sometimes. Exactly. Yeah, that stewardship. Yeah, and what I love about this proverb is that it, it exemplifies neglect. Yeah. Okay, so in ancient times, what would be the two ways that you would own a flock of sheep? There's two ways you could own it. In here. You could inherit it or you could invest and work for it, right? And, and, and create it yourself. So either way, whether this is an inheritance, this flock that Solomon is referencing here, whether it was inherited or you worked to earn it, he's saying you have to know the condition of your flock, right? You have to know and care for what's been given to you, what you have worked to earn or what has been handed to you. If you don't, you're going to lose it. And the generation after you is gonna have to start all over again okay so and I love how he says here at the end of this passage he says does a crown endure to all generations well we've seen in these stories that we've looked at no it does not a crown does not endure to all generations so the idea of forfeiting is well I, I didn't pay attention or I just kind of set it over here on the side and thought you know, God's on this. He'll, he'll take care of this. He'll, he'll do what he needs to do. It's kind of like Laura's example of, I, I got this house, but I forgot to pay the taxes. So all of a sudden, I wake up one day and realize, oh, it's not mine anymore. That's the second way that we can lose out on building in rest. Now, I want to talk about what the enemy often does, and we'll wrap it up with this. Here's what the enemy does. He knows our dominion mandate. He knew it in the garden. He knows it now because he knew it in the garden. He did everything he could to absolutely demolish Adam and Eve's inheritance. And they went along with it. He knows it now. Now, the blood of Christ has sealed our salvation. He he knows there's nothing he can do about that. But he can certainly rob us of our scope of inheritance on the earth. The things that the Lord created for us to walk in, to have dominion over, the enemy can rob us of that. And what is the biggest way that he does that? He sets a snare. What's a snare? It's a fancy word for a trap. trap. He sets a trap. Oh, you guys, I want you to, if you get anything, get this. (laughs) The enemy does not want this generational inheritance to be passed. He will do everything in his power to cut it off because he knows that that means the next generation has to start all over again and we never fulfill our mandate. So he will be so crafty, so intentional to come in and set a snare. Now, I want us to look at the snare that he set for Solomon. You guys know this, but it's still powerful when you read it from scripture. 1 Kings 11, 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, uh, Sidonian and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you for surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, skipping down for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. So what was the snare that the enemy set for Solomon? Lots of women, other gods. That's gonna look different for every single one of us. Now, I wanna make this really, really practical, tangible. Let's go back to World War II, okay? Let's go back to what is called the greatest generation. Why is the World War II generation called the greatest generation? Okay, it's because they were willing to die and give up almost the whole generation to fight against evil, to fight against Hitler. And so because of that, they've been called the greatest generation. They gave their lives for a cause that they knew would literally dominate the world with evil if they didn't give their lives for it. So what happened is they all go to war. All these men go to war. We win the battle. The allies win. They start coming home, and they start to build in peace. So they go out and they fight these battles, these incredible, intense battles. Same generation then has the ability to start coming home and building in peace. What happens then, you guys? You guys know your history. This isn't that long ago. America booms in prosperity, right? We call that the baby boomer generation. And in that generation, especially in the 40s and the 50s and the early 60s, our nation starts just exploding with prosperity exploding with development, technology, all these things that start just increasing exponentially. And as a generation, we start to turn our hearts towards those things. We start to worship materialism. We start to worship what we can accrue. And what happens in the sixties? The kids being raised up by those baby boomers start looking at what their parents are living for. And they say to themselves, one of these three phrases that I said earlier, right? We will never do it like our parents. And we have a whole generation of hippies, right? Who decide that they want the opposite of what their parents have done. They don't want to build on anything that their parents have created. They want to live in the opposite. Why did they do that? Why was there that disconnect in the generations? It's because the greatest generation, those who fought in World War II, allowed their hearts to be entrapped, to be caught in a snare. Instead of living for what they were called for, created for, crafted for, they started living for what they could have. Building a name for themselves, building a wealth for themselves. And the next generation saw that and said, no, we don't want anything to do with that. And bam, all kinds of consequences started hitting our country. I mean, we can point so many things that we're living in back To that moment in history when that generation said, no, we want nothing to do with that. And we are eating the fruit of that. And so what the enemy did is he took this amazing generation of men and women who sacrificed, who knew right from wrong. (laughs) They gave their lives for it. And he set a snare for them. And in that snare, everything started to fall apart. So, beloved as we think about what it looks like to build in rest, to allow the Lord to give us that builder's momentum, we have to be on our guard for the snares of the enemy. We have to be. And in addition to that, I want to say and end with this. If we want to be those men and women who are known as builders, We have to be able to look back on our previous generations, both in the spirit and in the natural, and look at them honestly. Take stock honestly. These were the snares that, that tripped them up. And stand in the gap and repent on behalf of the generations. And say, Lord, I repent. For the sake of what my generations walked in, I repent, Lord. Would you cleanse me from those things? And would you allow me to go forward free from those things? Because, beloved, if we don't do that, we are going to carry that same stuff, whether we like it or not. It will be hidden. It may not be on the surface, but it will be there. It is only repentance that breaks that. And so as we repent... For the generations, on behalf of the generations moving forward, then the Lord is able to say, okay, now I can restore. Now I can accelerate you into the things that your family line was called to build on. Praise God. Now, I want to release this word. The prophetic team over the past six months has gotten over and over again the word that new song is to be known for rest. That's one of the things we are to be characterized by is rest. Now, that has a lot of different connotations, right? In other words, we're not supposed to strive like we see so much of happening in the kingdom of God. We're not going to be strivers. We're going to be resters in the presence. But I believe, as God's been downloading this to me, I believe that one of the reasons God has spoken the word rest over us is because we are to build in rest upon What the victories are that the previous generations have won for us, and then we, as mothers and fathers in the kingdom, are to hand that on to the next generation and say, "Here it is. Run with it. Build in rest, so that you don't have to fight any of the battles that the previous generations had to fight." Wow! Wow! Wow. OK, let's pray. Father, um, I'm just blown away by all this just nuggets of gold that are in your word, Lord, and the things you want to teach us and how you want to transform our lives. So, Jesus, we just um, we cry out for the sake of your church. We cry out for the sake of the generations. And we say, Jesus, would you make us men and women who build by faith? faith, in humility, in rest, God, partnering with you and in stepping into the acceleration and the favor that you want to pour out on our lives. Jesus, would you do at New Song something that is a testimony to the world, Lord, as we build in rest, Lord, as we choose to partner with you, God, in these things. We're asking you, God, for miracles. We're asking you for favor and acceleration like we've never seen before. We're asking you for redemption over the generation like we've never yes, seen god. before god we declare it now by faith god this is your heart this is what you want to do what you long to do and so father we declare it by faith because you are a good good father you are a good good father and we give you praise and honor and glory Jesus praise your name lord Thank you, jesus amen amen, amen. amen.